0: put shoes some
1: matter morty straight
2: the things try to buy our whole dress great gowns Oral. beautiful gowns
1: yes. fashion has changed And I'm Chelsea Fairless
0: And let's not even do the pleasantries Let's just play this
2: call Hi Chelsea and Lauren, this is Caitlin from Chicago I wanted to do a little wellness check on Lauren um, I know that you have had a rougher time with these episodes But how are we feeling today? Seems like we got so many of the things that we've been looking for There's even mention of the Hamptons We have a great breakup So I wanted to see how you're feeling And uh, love you guys, bye So Lauren,
1: how are you doing?
0: In the words of Dorinda Medley to Candace Bushnell (laughs) on The Real Housewives of New York, not well, bitch. I did not enjoy this episode.
1: (sighs) Yeah, I mean, I didn't think you would. Did you? You know that I'm like the biggest and just like that apologist, but I really do feel like this show is testing me. And it just blows my mind how it like this show defies genre. Like it is not a comedy It is not a drama, and somehow it's not a dramedy either, which is such a popular and established television genre at this particular moment.
0: And you would think, given the critiques of the show, that they would then dive into a very popular genre on streaming and prestige television now, which is the class warfare comedy dramedy, like A White Lotus, the movie Triangle of Sadness, even Succession, but they're like, nah. What if we were a rated our modern family meets a lifetime ripoff of sex in the city?
1: It's too depressing to be an escapist fantasy. But also it's not real enough to be relatable to one single person because everyone is so rich that like nothing that happens is of any consequence to anyone.
0: In past episodes, I've written it off as just bad writing or lazy writing. But if you listen to the Writer's Room podcast with them, they really are putting their all into these episodes. And so now I'm pivoting and it's more just like the choices that they choose to make, the execution of these ideas are so... So bizarre yeah what made me the most upset about this episode are jokes that should have obviously been made or moments that should be bigger that they just sort of drop
1: no I totally feel that I do
0: one hotline call that we got this week kind of encapsulates not just how this caller feels how you and I feel but I imagine how we
1: all feel absolutely I also want to note that our hotline this week is basically like a suicide hotline. <laughs> if you were to listen to the things that we have heard, it's dark and it's like different than it's been in the past.
0: Oh, yes. The season one hotline was fun. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all on the brink. Was it a hotline call or a comment someone was like, if this isn't written by AI, then the writers have a problem. Like the writer's strike are having issues. If we were like, you can't pivot to AI, you need a human being
1: to write this. Okay, I wanna talk about the strike, but let's play this call first.
2: Hi Chelsea, hi Lauren. I just need to call after finishing this most recent episode to just say simply that I am sad. I am sad that I find myself wanting to fast forward through the majority of these episodes. I find myself sad looking at the sorry state of affairs of these characters and the way that they're being underdeveloped and unraveled in front of our eyes each week. And I'm sad ultimately that somehow, some way, they made sex so boring to the point where I doubt that they even have had I just need to let you know, I'm trying to record this poetic voicemail, and a fly flew into my mouth, but I'm going to embrace the human nature of all of this and just say this is more entertaining than all of And Just Like That. I hope you have a lovely day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: Okay. I'm going to need you to rewind and play the noise of the fly going into this woman's mouth a few times. Have
2: that have had have
0: had yeah i guess when you talk <laughs> shit about and just like that daddy mpk hears you and he sends his insect assassins to silence you
1: yeah he's putting a hex on this woman for sure
0: for anyone who hasn't called the hotline we do expressly say that if you don't want the call played on air just let us know this person did not say that so
1: (laughs) i'm obsessed with this person and i agree that like that was funnier and more real than a lot of what we have seen on the show recently also was i right guys it's giving suicide hotline Like, this woman is literally like, I'm sad.
0: Even though it was unintended, this call really gets at the heart of what watching Just Like That feels like, which is <laughs> you're trying to communicate with it on an emotional level, and then it just, like, you're choked with the bizarre choices that they make.
1: It is on all of us, the audience, the super fans, for having such a parasocial relationship with these characters to begin with. You know, like, we have such intense nostalgia for Sex and the City that it really, like, it is legitimately disturbing to us to see the characters we know and love sort of take another form.
0: Part of it is we are to blame, but the other part is it's not well written. Like, if someone who never watched Sex and the City watched it just like that, you'd be like, oh, this show's about LTW. She's given the most to do. She's the most interesting. I mean, Carrie is practically a side character in this episode.
1: Yeah, she is.
0: Will she get to WidowCon? Will she not get to WidowCon? She's like Vincent Chase in Entourage. (laughs) It's the lowest of stakes.
1: It was only during WidowCon that I realized, holy shit, Carrie's book is out. Like, I had assumed that she gave Jackie like an advance copy or something, but this book came out with not even so much as a like Vogue-sponsored dinner to celebrate it.
0: That's what I'm saying, is the choices that they make as writers to execute these ideas are so bizarre.
1: They've made the conscious choice for these all of these women to be at rock bottom professionally, <laughs> which is where Carrie is.
0: So before we finally get into this episode i feel like we should have a little discussion because i'm wondering Chell, are we technically scabs if we keep talking about it just like that
1: i mean we're not in any of the guilds so how can we be scabby in right now
0: sag did put out influencer regulations uh for how to proceed in talking about meteor pop culture we are not paid by max or warner brothers obviously (laughs) If we're ever like, you know what, and just like that is the best show we've ever seen,
1: then you know we're we're getting those max bucks. We're getting those royal blue checks in the mail every month. But there
0: is this thing going on in pop culture, Twitter, and TikTok, where there are people who professionally talk about movies and TV shows, new movies and TV shows, who are being seen as scabs for taking on work. Because it feels like in the next few weeks and months, studios are going to lean on influencers To do publicity for shows but guess what guys we're doing this for free
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay well i really don't want to be a scab because like obviously we're pro-union but like i feel so removed from the whole situation although i think we talked about this on the patreon and not the main episode last week but the cast of and just like that can no longer promote and just like that including kim cattrall when her episode finally comes out
0: This is true. One of the SAG regulations for those who are in SAG is not only can you not go on interview shows... But you can't even post on social media.
1: You can't even post those little like trailers for each episode that all the girls post.
0: You can't even go on a podcast. So there goes our our <laughs> f- finale
1: episode with Sarah Jessica Parker. Um. So this episode begins with Carrie in her apartment struggling with a ring light. She's being interviewed by... Who is this woman? Is this a YouTuber or a journalist? They talk about their content creation. So that makes me think influencer
0: yeah this episode was written by daddy mpk and rachel palmer who started as a writer's assistant on two broke girls which was created in part by michael patrick king so i think she was the youth consultant for the episode and so i think they are just a catch-all journalist with a social media following right i did relate to the unending stack that one has to create to (laughs) to fashion the perfect zoom lighting scenario Three years and we still don't have a workable solution for like the correct height of your laptop versus lighting.
1: Well, we should just do what Tom Ford does, which is stack really gorgeous coffee table books and then put our laptop on top of that with a ring light. Nice. Anywho, this interview is obviously a disaster.
0: The journalist slash content creator says, I googled you, which again is like, wait, is Carrie not famous? Like, I get that this is supposed to be a ditzy, Gen Z journalist in quotes, but like, how we feel about Carrie Bradshaw as, you know, a character in media It wouldn't be to that degree, but she would be this like sordid downtown single girl legend. People would know
1: about her. One would think, but she has lost all of her relevance and that is communicated to us constantly.
0: This Gen Z journalist should know her only because she saw a bunch of old photos of her at parties from the early
1: 2000s. But in this world, this person like wouldn't even know her from that. But still, some people would, in theory, right? Because we have examples of these kinds of women that exist. Candace Bushnell, obviously. Yeah. Even someone like Plum Sykes, I think, is a Carrie Bradshaw-adjacent person. I mean, Elizabeth Wurtzel died, RIP, but, like, you know, there are women like this.
0: I will say I did relate to this person because this bitch is like me. I didn't get the Manhattan pun when I first saw the Sex and the City film either.
1: (laughs) I loved that acknowledgement of her second novel, Manhattan, personally. But I don't know, I think a more interesting struggle for Carrie might be the fact that people completely identify her with who she was in the 90s. Because that's what happens with It Girls, right? They are associated with a certain time period. It's very rare that It Girls transcend time periods. Even someone like Chloe Sevigny, who's managed to do that, we still associate with the 90s. Anyway, over at Naya's house, her and Miranda are officially roommates. Yeah, I guess Miranda did get that sad
0: twin mattress in bed finally. <laughs> so Miranda wakes up quite startled. There's a bit of a, again, this is where we enter a multi cam comedy because Miranda comes out into the living room all stressed in her heart pajamas. Uh, what time is it? It's 10. Oh my God, I'm late. And then Naya goes, It's Sunday. And then they're like, Ha ha ha. ha.
1: I like the fact that they're roommates, actually.
0: Oh my God. I love that part. I think that is great. When Naya points out that Miranda's in heart pajamas, she's like, don't be a fashion
1: critic. And I'm like, was Naya critiquing her pajamas? Yeah, I actually really liked the pajamas. The pajamas and loungewear in this episode were exceptional overall, I would say.
0: Miranda seems surprised that Naya is handling her own divorce. This is unsaid, but Naya is like, it's a no-fault divorce. But I, the parentheses are sort of like, and I'm a lawyer. Right. So I can pretty much handle this. Which, how fun would that be if Miranda handled her own divorce? Which, as she says, is an all-my-fault
1: divorce. Well, she said she was handling her divorce in the blowout scene with Steve. Spoiler alert for what's coming ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, guys, for those of you who haven't actually watched the show. Meanwhile, Uptown, LTW and her family are like... A living, breathing Bruce Weber portrait <laughs> for British Vogue or something.
0: Again, we enter a totally different show. It's a show I would spend happily an hour with, but I'm like, this is a whole different vibe than two women in their mid fifties dealing with divorce.
1: Totally. But I would love to live inside a J. Crew catalog. It's like very bougie, but also like wholesome and stuff.
0: Well, which era J Crew catalog? We talking like '98? Whenever
1: they were shooting entire families in matching pajamas in bed together, that era of J Crew.
0: I hear you. Not the Jetta Lions, Michelle Obama heyday.
1: Yeah. They were still doing that.
0: We wore a lot of that too. But anyway, LTW spots rocks Ralph Lauren campaign. She of course immediately calls Charlotte. Which, this was the scene we saw in the trailer that we were like, why is Anthony there? And it's now explained, he brought 10 copies of the New York Times over.
1: I thought that was cute. I'm glad we actually got to see the ad. I thought we wouldn't.
0: That was also a fast turnaround. I feel like with this season, we always need to check in on the timeline. The last episode was Halloween. We are now... At one point, Chase says several weeks later, but it seems like it has to be December, right? Yeah. I I feel like we completely skip through November, Thanksgiving, all of that. So we know where this scene is leading because we've all seen it in the trailer, but the context is so bizarre. Lily asks her mother, did you call Nobu to make a reservation for me and my boyfriend? Bitch, make your own Nobu reservation. Like I'm sure you're paying with your dad's credit card anyway.
1: Also, okay, I just, like, resent the idea that there are teenagers that are having casual, like, midweek lunches at Nobu without the presence of their parents.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've referenced this before. I went to a private school that a few Olsen twins went to, but, like, this shit didn't even go on in
1: the school I went to. Also, it's like, okay, you can't afford a keyboard, but you can go to Nobu. Like, isn't that like the same cost, roughly? Again, it's all going on
0: Harry's credit card. Let's be honest here. Anthony says the realest shit, which is just go to Shake Shack and call it a day, which then leads Lily to reveal.
1: I can't get fucked after going to Shake Shack? Wait, what did she say?
0: I can't. (laughs) I mean, there's something very 17-year-old about wanting to curate the perfect losing your virginity scenario. Oh, for sure. But I would also say, I'm not sure if you want to lose your virginity after having a belly full of miso-marinated black cod and crispy <laughs> rice spicy tuna. Like, I don't think that's the move either.
1: Yeah, that's so true.
0: I'm with Harry. Why did she need to announce that?
1: Yeah, this just felt so weird because I understand having an open dialogue around sex with your parents. Like, you could tell your mom that you lost your virginity after the fact. But to announce before you've even had sex to both of your parents and your mom's random friend that you intend to lose your virginity just feels like so insane to me.
0: And this is why I continue to point to like, the impulse is correct, but the execution is bizarre. Cause it really does feel like Michael Patrick King probably heard from the writers who have teenage children of like, oh yeah, we have such an open dialogue with like
1: our Gen Z children now. Totally, but it's not like this. And especially with a character like Lily, like this does not make sense for this character that they've established over two seasons
0: we don't need this storyline, we don't want this storyline, but you're giving her two of the same beats, which is they talk about this, Harry, Anthony, and Charlotte of like, well, because Rock is now the good child. Lily is doing this for attention, but it's like, wasn't the I'm a Taylor Swift and I hate my privileged songwriter that beat? I don't care that Lily hates her life.
1: Give Charlotte a work plotline. What needs to happen for this girl to get a goddamn job?
0: Was that at the Victor Garber dinner or is that upcoming when she's like, I can't go back to work. My kids need me more
1: than ever. As we learn in this episode, it's more like they're abusing Charlotte and forcing her to be their personal assistant.
0: I would say that the one salvageable thing about this scene and plotline is Charlotte then walks into Lily's bedroom, which... Good to know Lily's still into music.
1: (laughs) She's like the Phantom of the Opera up in there.
0: Which I did think it was kind of funny when Charlotte's like, can you please stop playing this somber music? Like, it's giving this talk a vibe I don't think it requires.
1: Yeah, like a funereal vibe.
0: (laughs) But I did like Charlotte acknowledging, like, look, I came from such a waspy background that I made a concerted effort, probably because of my friends Samantha and Miranda and Carrie, guys who only listen to our recaps and don't watch the episodes. She didn't say that. Would be great if she acknowledged that, but she doesn't. But she talks to Lily about how she wanted to have a more sex-positive dialogue with her children if that was what she wanted seems surprising
1: that lily is just like i want to fuck and she's like what this was a good conversation until lily's like you're going from sex positive to sex annoying and at that point, I was like, oh, AI is already writing television.
0: Yeah, I got to say, if AI isn't writing in just like that, like writers, we got a bigger problem going on. It's it's really hard to demonstrate our value
1: <laughs> when this is what's going on right now on
0: streaming.
1: So Seema and Carrie are across town at the Apple store.
0: I want to know how you feel about this Carrie outfit because she's yet again in those pale blue suede knee-high boots that we saw in the previous episode, jammed into an 80s jumpsuit.
1: Yeah, with one leg scrunched up like LL Cool J, which was a choice, although hip-hop style Of course, has always infiltrated Carrie's closet at certain times.
0: Yeah, but this feels less like a Patricia Field choice and more of a Sarah Jessica Parker choice.
1: Well, we also know that because she has worn her pants like this. Like I remember seeing these like Daily Mail photos like a while back of her wearing jeans and like one of them was just like scrunched up to the knee.
0: We forgot to mention, Carrie's computer tumbles to the floor. I guess it breaks. Carrie and Seema, who are finally reunited. It felt like last episode, they only their only contact was via cell phone. Carrie has coerced Seema, instead of having
1: lunch, to go to the Apple store with her. Seema asks her to share a house in the Hamptons.
0: Uh, yes, Carrie thinks that she's going to be asked for her left kidney, which she'll happily give Seema, as long as it's the left one. Where is carrie's hamptons home i feel like they are gaslighting us
1: yeah also someone called in and reminded us that harry also has a hamptons home
0: i believe harry says in season five episode eight he is the hamptons
1: <laughs> right right
0: i do feel like it is now canon that Seema is a bravo holic
1: yeah for sure
0: so she is me and i am her i have no choice but to stand. In the next scene, it's now evening, Miranda comes out of a bathroom and I was like, oh wait, she's back in her Brooklyn townhouse. And then I was like, no, surely she's not still with Che. Like, the episode last week seemed like a great place to end that relationship.
1: But, you know, thankfully that does run its course by the end of this episode. Yes, And we get, okay, this scene, I actually can't wait to talk to you about this scene.
0: We got to go T to B with this scene, which is it begins with Miranda wanting to cuddle. Come here, come where. We both just came. I'm going to guarantee Daddy MPK wrote that line. Che's answer gave me such ick, which is cuddle. What am I padding to bear? And it's just like, what does Che want? Like, again, Jay wants nothing Miranda wants and nothing that Miranda can give them, which would be fine if we're not just, like, shuttling through the year through both seasons, where it's like, why has this
1: fling gone on this long? It's especially weird because they spent the first season, the entire first season, and this season as well, seeding the idea that Miranda is a sober alcoholic, And Shay is someone that is like partying all the time. Like that right there is a very logical reason for this couple to break up and is the reason why many people break up. When they ultimately break up, it's like there kind of isn't a reason. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that
0: in a little bit. But so then Miranda says goodnight, which if that were me, I would have been like, goodbye. I'm going to go back to my place in... In Brooklyn. I'm going to go back to Naya, who's providing me a bedroom. You can't even provide me cuddles. Go fuck yourself. Thank you for the orgasm. I guess because we didn't see that on screen. But no, Miranda turns to her side of the bed, goes to sleep, and
1: she does maybe the most shocking thing I've ever seen on television. (laughs) I mean, it was pretty funny. Like, it made no sense, but I was kind of into it. Che turns away from Miranda
0: and begins filming cameos, even though we don't use that word. I get that we need this for the scene, but surely you would go into another room to do this. Like, it's not even that Che is sitting up. Che is on their side in bed. Or you could introduce the idea that you have work to do. Them saying goodnight and just turning over and recording on their phone is wild.
1: No, it's totally crazy. Also, like, how, like, weird to get a cameo from someone that's recording them, like, next to their sleeping partner.
0: Okay. Given the numerous Real Housewives references, I have to imagine, and this must come from the writer Rachel Palmer, that this is a reference to the fact that many of the Housewives when they record cameos, are often just recording them wherever the fuck they are. Like, there are a ton of housewives like Ramona who are recording their cameos from the airport when they're about to catch a flight to West Palm Beach.
1: But also, they are recording their cameos at night because they've been depressed all day and don't have their shit together and have been procrastinating this. And that's why it's happening, as it's happening. But again, yes, There's no realism in this. It's very bizarre. You could even have Che recording them loudly in the other room, and that would still do the same thing while making it feel like something that could conceivably happen to two human beings.
0: Yeah, Miranda does bring up the correct question. is like, what were you doing all day? You know, when you weren't in bed and there was great light? Not that that's what Miranda says. But, you know, Che doesn't directly answer this, but instead they say, well, I can't work in the clubs... So I have to do this. And I'm not a comedian by trade. I have friends who are comedians, but I believe that the clubs play like $30 a set, if that.
1: But Shay's rock bottom being having to record all of these cameos is quite realistic. Like, I don't mind this as a plot point. It's just the way that it was executed. Also, I like the acknowledgement within this plot line of like, the annoying aspects of Che because they record the cameos in the Hey, It's Che Diaz voice.
0: I always ask, are they in on the joke or not? They
1: are, because Miranda says like, what is that voice?
0: You're right, you're right. You know, there's that famous tweet that asks, you know, I asked my partner, do they want comfort or solutions? And you added a third
1: option, which is wallow.
0: (laughs) A month has gone by. Should you allow your partner to wallow for a month about a failed pilot?
1: Yeah, I think so. Look, depression doesn't have a timeline. And this is also legit because creative people like Che that are moody and in a very like financially unstable situation like are very prone to having like prolonged periods of depression, for sure. But obviously, it's hard to be around as the other partner.
0: It's hard to be around. I guess I have a harder time imagining this. Not that I have not faced my own creative projects blowing up in my face and being sad but you're a comedian write a special like you can self-generate content in a way that others can't
1: yeah che diaz has many avenues to make money not just cameo they could write for other tv shows they could have another podcast again how about that like
0: Yeah, I guess my point is it's fine to still be wounded and not want to go to comedy clubs and get asked the question, how's your pilot going? But I feel like weeks into this, you should know that your life isn't over, which is how they phrase it. Miranda urges them to go talk to a real person, to which Che goes, yeah, because that's going so well for me. And it's like, what is Che? Miranda's sullen, gender non-conforming child? Okay, but... I love how I'm such a Che
1: apologist here. I feel like this is like really normal and like really common and totally makes sense for this character. You
0: are correct. You are correct. I do wish Che was someone else. So there is that. They don't, outwardly say cameo also because I'm not sure is this how the messaging interface of cameo works that you can just send a titty
1: I have no idea because Miranda sees and is that is one beautifully lit tit I love how all <laughs> of the like dirty pictures on this show are just like like that's like a nice like Maplethorpe photo right there
0: yeah where is in just like that getting these
1: Stock images. Well,
0: like, is there a, yeah, is there an adult version of stock images we don't know about? Because we would like to. Yeah, there must be. So Miranda leaves in a huff because she's like, why do I get Sullen Che? And why does a random tit in Arizona get
1: Happy You? Okay, but did you notice the amount of plaid as she was leaving? Because she was in plaid pajamas, I think, to begin with. Then she put on a plaid coat. And then they cut to her again, and she was just in a plaid scarf. How are you doing with all that plaid? You know what? Actually, that plaid outfit was like pretty cute, considering. But I was just like, the plaid does seem to be multiplying. Also, we haven't talked about the fact that Carrie has plaid wallpaper in her house on one of the walls. Oh, God.
0: I will say, because I will be a Che apologist for a second, Che's reply is... You know, what is it that you want? Fuck boy,
1: comedy, Che. I thought that was a fair point when Miranda was like, why does this tit girl get like you when you're up and happy? And, and Che's like, I'm not performing for you.
0: That is fair. But then the other side of that is, why are you guys attempting to be in a relationship? Neither of you can give what the other wants. This is truly like water and oil
1: together. I guess because of the sex, which is also just like a common reason for relationships that should end not ending yeah i feel that
0: we've all been there carrie is with her publisher whomever interviewed her has released the article about carrie's novel and the lead headline is carrie bradshaw loves a berry lip her publisher then says don't worry You're going to talk at WidowCon. All your publishing issues have been
1: solved. And we meet a very special guest star.
0: My brain stuttered for a second when Rachel Dresch walked in and there was this familiarity between her publisher and Carrie. And I was like, wait...
1: Was Rachel Dredge one of her agents? I know. I thought that for a second too. No, of course, that was Molly Shannon and Amy Sedaris. But of course, they all are sort of part of the same world. Chell, this is the scene that
0: made my fucking head explode. And you would think that someone that didn't have to do with the original series wrote this. Which is Rachel Dredge plays Karen, except now she's Carrie because tough time to be a white woman named Karen. She's Carrie with a K. We then learned that Carrie and Karen were writing partners in the early 90s, writing a rom-com for a studio, but Carrie ghosted their last meeting at a Starbucks were there even starbucks in the early 90s of
1: course there were starbucks in the early 90s you're crazy for that
0: i've got the answer for you the first starbucks opened oh. <laughs> april 22nd 1994 87th and broadway okay so they went to that one so we're supposed to understand that in the infancy of the sex in the city column carrie got paired up with a lit agent and lit agents can mean two things. They can mean books or screenplays, but they established that he was a screenwriting agent. Everyone has written a dumb script. That's not my issue, Chelsea. What infuriates me about this plotline is it essentially retcons the LA episodes where she's flown out because Matthew McConaughey wants to adapt her column. She's in one's reference that like, oh, yeah, a couple years ago, I tried my hand at writing a screenplay. Fair point,
1: but always fun to see Rachel Dratch under any circumstance.
0: So Carrie does not want to go to WidowCon and of course calls her bestest of friends, Charlotte. I'm kidding, Carrie calls Che? See, this would
1: have been Samantha. Che needed to go to WidowCon, you know? Che's going (laughs) through it. They needed to be around people more miserable than them.
0: Yes, Che is wallowing on the couch, but we forget that Carrie and Che were, I guess, friends in season one. And so Carrie needs Che to keep them company at WidowCon. Che reluctantly agrees, saying, I promised mommy I would leave the house. And Carrie goes, you're mommy? And Che goes, Miranda. And then Carrie's just silent. And Che goes, yeah, that silence speaks volumes. It's like, No, no, no. It's because that's a deeply weird thing to say.
1: (laughs) It is, but it's very telling about their dynamic and where they are in their relationship. And obviously, like, that's not a sexy thing.
0: Well, as we know, as uh, Miranda even says about her dynamic with Steve in, I think, season three, nobody wants to fuck me and mommy.
1: So Naya and Miranda have Carrie and Char over. This might have been my favorite part of the episode,
0: Yeah, I mean, any scene that is a version
1: of the classic coffee scene. Any scene where, like, the three actresses are together is my favorite scene.
0: I will say the most fun about season two, which, again, we're scraping the barrel to find some joy, is... Ooh, what combination of characters are we going to get around a table this episode? Did you notice that they brought fake wine for Miranda?
1: They did that also at the picnic or whatever.
0: Uh, That's right, yeah. These were back-to-back scenes that fucking infuriated me. Let's start with the good, which is Nia's texting Andre Rashad and says that they had a bad breakup, but they're trying to have a good divorce. To which Miranda asked, do you think you'll stay friends? And she's like, yeah, I hope so. Which opens the door for Miranda to be like, I'm light years away from being friends with Steve.
1: Okay, well also this was where I learned that Miranda hadn't asked Steve for a divorce. Was I the only person watching this that thought they were already at at the very least separated if not divorced, if not in the process of divorcing?
0: I only know that because of what was established in that therapy episode two episodes ago. But yeah, again, so much emotional labor and annoyance from the audience would be saved if they just fucking broke them up before and just like that ever started. Another highlight of the scene is that Charlotte references Trey saying that she thought <laughs> they would be friends and that just never happened.
1: Yeah, I loved that. Then Aiden comes up. It's kind of fun to see... Naya, be like, who's that?
0: Yes, this comes about because I guess the theme of this episode is exes. And so for Carrie, it's her ex writing partner she forgot about. And she goes, I got more baggage with her than I do with Aiden. And it's like, what between you and Aiden hasn't been resolved? Like, why would there be baggage between the two of you? Why would there be baggage? What do you mean? Of course
1: there would be baggage.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I imagine they haven't spoken since the Abu Dhabi kiss. This, to me, infuriated me, because is it Naya or Charlotte? Someone goes, oh, do you have any idea what happened to Aiden? And then she rattles off in five seconds that he lives in Virginia. He got divorced five years ago and sold his company to West Elm for a lot of money. Any dramatic tension that we could have had for the reveal of Aiden, just gone.
1: Yeah, it's so true.
0: (laughs) And fine, you want to waste an interesting way to bring Aiden back, but for Charlotte and Miranda to have no follow-up questions or commentary, the scene just ends, Chelsea. Okay, yeah, you're right. They could have said the same line, but between Charlotte and Miranda, the different tones and perspectives they had, you could have had Charlotte go, you've been keeping tabs on Aiden? And then you could have had Miranda follow up with, You've been keeping tabs on Aiden, end scene. That would at least be something. This is what infuriated me about this episode is like, there are these moments that you can just enrich it and they just let the scene die. Yeah. And again, I will fully admit this is partially our fault for writing a bit, or I will say my fault for writing a bit of fan fiction of like thinking maybe Charlotte would see that they got divorced or, you know, they read a profile about Aiden. Maybe tie it back to how Carrie met Aiden, which was Stanford read the style section article about him. Maybe there was a different profile about Aiden
1: that Charlotte reads that reveals that he's fucking single. Well, not only is he single, but in a tragic turn of events, he also does not work, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: he sold this company No for a one lot fucking of money. works on this show so crazy. Well, the scene had to end because, of course, we had to smash cut into Carrie writing an email to Aiden, which is a very brief scene. Then we have Seema over the next morning where they are both looking at Airbnbs. I know they needed this for the story so that Seema could find the email and Carrie could explain, like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to send it, but isn't SEMA a luxury real estate agent? Wouldn't she have access to off-market properties? I know.
1: I was thinking that too. It's like you're not going on Airbnb to rent a house.
0: Bizarre choice. You could have had Seema over. You could have had them looking at something
1: else. It would just be looking at like a real, the Sotheby's rentals or whatever, right?
0: Well, let's hope that it was Airbnb product placement. <laughs> Or else that's very infuriating that they chose to do this. Yeah, I'm
1: imagining Seema like messaging the Airbnb host.
0: I read the check-in, but the code isn't working. Do you know the Wi-Fi? I hope this is leading up to the last episode of this season being everyone in the Hamptons together.
1: Yeah, I really, really want that.
0: It's now the next... Morning. Che calls Carrie to reveal that there's a bomb
1: cyclone.
0: Surely WidowCon is canceled, only for Carrie to say that the Widows have been at the Sheridan since Thursday?
1: I identify with Che in this scene because I too would do anything in my power to try and get out of this. There's nothing worse than having to go out in New York City when there is a storm like that. I absolutely agree with you.
0: And let's be honest, WidowCon would be canceled, but... It's all now making sense that this nonsensical Rachel Dratch storyline is so that it can intertwine with this Blizzard storyline so that Carrie can say, I'm not going to be a snowflake, I can't ghost this person twice.
1: I like the idea that's brought up with this plotline, though, around the fact that Carrie has burned bridges that she's kind of forgotten about because as she says, I was drunk for most of the 90s.
0: Again, it's a double beat. It's a beat that they do in the first season with Susan Sharon when she's like, that thing, that thing that I was mad at you about, all forgiven. Carrie is perhaps, and we have made this point in previous episodes, a shitty
1: friend. (laughs) No, she's not a shitty friend. I I disagree. She's like a complicated person. She's flawed, but she's dependable. So Charlotte is making
0: hot cocoa because it is a bomb cyclone and no one is leaving the house. Except for Lily who announces again, I'm going to go lose my virginity.
1: Okay, if I was Charlotte, I would be like, you look like you're going to a babysitter's club meeting. Well, they're not going to be wearing their clothes. Okay, but like, did you see what she was wearing? At least put on some lipstick, get a black puffer coat. Like, come on. Like, she looks like she's going to a tea party at the American Girl store or something. (laughs)
0: Again, we should say this actor is 10 years older than they are playing. (laughs) Oh, we didn't even get into LTW and her husband's plot point because we were too focused on Charlotte, but... I guess we were not going to get that Tribeca Film Festival debut. Her documentary is out. She has an event at MoMA.
1: I thought that was an old one.
0: I took it to mean that documentary that she had been working on, as she says for eight years, that is about three influential Black women and their place in history is getting honored at MoMA. And her husband, Hubert? Yeah, that's his name. He has a campaign event. And wouldn't you know it, it's the same day. So we cut back to LTW, whose car service has canceled. Okay,
1: this already also happened. Remember when she walked to the Met Gala? Yeah. This woman, like, only walks to major cultural institutions on this show.
0: The Met Gala made more sense because you take it that they live on the Upper East Side. She's choosing to decline his car because he's like fine don't come to my event but let me drop you off on the way and she's like
1: no I love that like when I was watching this I was like look at her in the snow and her Dior outfit she's such a boss bitch and then I realized like wait like why am I celebrating someone for simply walking from the Upper East Side to MoMA?
0: Yeah, her choice to walk 40 blocks down to MoMA gives us an iconic walk in the snow, but it is a psychotic choice.
1: Especially cuz Herbert's like I'm just going to drop you off.
0: Feminism up into a point. <laughs> <to> a point. <laughs> because LTW has to take her wig off and then I this whole sequence actually made me very emotional. I thought this was all beautiful when she goes to the bathroom. Oh, she for sure. Puts her wig on. There's a beautiful moment with the
1: older black woman. But again, it's like all she did was walk from her apartment for no reason when she did have access to a car. Also, I did like like when she took off like whatever the hounds to thing that she was wearing, I liked the outfit that she ended up wearing, which was kind of like had this really great interplay with the wig. Because she had that nubby, like, black fringe sweater right. and then the wavy hair. It was a little bit cats, like Andrew Lloyd Webber cats, <laughs> but a little bit, like, Fosse also.
0: I did also tear up when her husband shows up. He oh, totally. his yeah. campaign events.
1: I should have seen that coming, but tragically didn't. And yeah, I thought it was very heartwarming.
0: So now we're back with Charlotte. Charlotte, Rock, and Harrier are watching Edward Scissorhands. Allow me to make a very Lauren Garoni point, but this is not a Warner Brothers film. Like, between the Americans the last episode and Edward Scissorhands, they've licensed two Fox-related properties. For a plot point, you would think that it would be in the archive
1: that they have, which would be Warner
0: Brothers. So they really wanted Edward Scissorhands to make a point.
1: Well, the snow scene is gorgeous, of course.
0: Lily calls Charlotte to reveal that no one got condoms.
1: At this point, I was like, if you have to call your mom to buy condoms, you're not old enough to have sex. That
0: was my same thought as well. I mean, you know, Charlotte asked, well, why can't your little boyfriend get the condoms? And she goes, well, the pharmacy will tell his parents. I was like, then
1: you shouldn't be fucking. Then you go to the pharmacy. You're rich Gen Zers. Postmate the fucking condoms. I know. This is what I'm saying. It's like she actually is not mature enough. Like normally I'm like wouldn't be that precious about a what? How old is she? 16? 17. 17 year old girl losing her virginity, whatever. But like this person is clearly a child and actually probably shouldn't do something that is sort of high stakes emotionally, like have sex for the first time. Poor Charlotte. She had no choice when Lily said, we just Googled the pulling out method. I like how before she was like, hell no, I'm not going out in that. Like, figure it out. And then Lily basically bullied her into being her personal assistant.
0: Again, I'm I'm not a mother, but I feel like I would have been like, have fun with that. I'll, we'll go get plan B when you come home. <laughs> Lily, you're interrupting the ice dance scene in Edward Scissorhands. This is a candid event for our family. (laughs) Fuck off.
1: (laughs) So Charlotte ventures out onto the streets. Carrie is also on the streets.
0: Walking to WidowCon in the Montclair Genius coat dress.
1: I think it's actually like a skirt and a coat. It's an event. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of clothing if you could even call it clothing oh
0: so you could wear it separately really it's three outfits
1: yeah she can mix it up
0: so charlotte calls not to vent but to ask if carrie has condoms and we learn that carrie does not use condoms carrie's like I- i'm not concerned with pregnancy and then she gets insulted she goes you thought i had an std situation it's like you fucked up what you thought was a broke Gen X app bro. Like, you don't know what his situation is. Like, the condoms are to protect you, not him from you, Carrie. And we get the detail that Carrie says that she couldn't even get her mother to pick her up from school, which I guess answers the question why we've never seen Carrie's mother on the show.
1: (laughs) So, Charlotte gets the condoms takes them to Lily. Lily is so rude to her.
0: She shoes her away and then is like, oh, fuck, that's my benefactor. I should probably
1: hug her. Then that crane shot, which did look beautiful, but it's like Charlotte looking up into the apartment, like praying that her like sweet daughter isn't going to get completely defiled by this Blake kid.
0: I know it's a crane shot of her looking up in awe, which, you know, without context, you would think maybe she's seeing the heavenly... Heavenly spirit of John James Preston ascend into the sky but no it's just her looking at the third floor being like that's where my daughter's getting railed
1: <laughs> That's exactly what her her face was saying
0: So now Carrie is at Widowcon there's all this widow merch most notably the widow wand only available on back order
1: <laughs> See I wish the widow wand was black to signify mourning And also had like a little compartment for your dead husband's ashes. (laughs) Like, because that would offer something new to the already oversaturated landscape of sex toys. That's true. So
0: Carrie goes to the room that she'll be speaking at. And there is a septuagenarian who is
1: fucking killing. As Chase says, she's like the Don Rickles of death. This role was played by Julie White, who's like legendary theater actress, also, do you remember her multi-episode arc on 6 Feet Under? No, who did she play? She played the funeral home, like the corporate the funeral rival home. One. Yes, that was always trying to buy up Fisher and Sons. Oh God, she was so good. She's genius. Also, I saw her in a play quite recently that played POTUS, also starring Rachel Dratch. So they've worked together a lot this year.
0: This scene also made me realize that Che is written very purposefully. I mean, I I know that that's obvious, but it's like they could write this funny of jokes this woman and yet they write Che's jokes and humor the way that they do it's like oh that wasn't a mistake that was on purpose got
1: it got it I still don't think it was on purpose but like Julie White is clearly like eviscerating Che Diaz as a stand-up yeah I'm just
0: saying that the writers are capable of writing funny dialogues for supposed comedians for sure yeah I love how Carrie is just like, death isn't funny. And it's like, yeah, but you know, your annoying husband finally leaving this mortal coil so you can have some peace. Now that's hilarious. (laughs) Carrie demands Che writes her a joke. For Che jokes, this is pretty good. The widow wand doesn't come with a lifetime guarantee, but neither did my husband.
1: Very well-crafted joke.
0: I'm not sure why Carrie did not prepare for this event it reminded me of when she hosted that single seminar and
1: didn't prepare for shit either right the learning annex but I guess she was just going to read her book but it didn't seem like she had any sort of introduction written
0: I remember listening to an interview with Steve Martin where he talks about when he goes on Conan O'Brien or David Letterman he prepares he literally writes pages of jokes
1: just to go on those interview shows. It's like, you gotta prepare Carrie. We're also acting like Carrie is someone that never speaks in front of a crowd, which we've seen her do several times.
0: Yeah, well, Carrie thinks that she's gonna fail because she's not funny, but she just reads her book, which is heartfelt and authentic, and it speaks to the people in the
1: audience. But again, what are the stakes here? She's not going to sell books at WidowCon oh no, will she have to sell Big's place in Napa to be able to make her mortgage payments? Oh wait, no, she's loaded. I guess it's just showing us that she has changed and she is showing up to this event that she doesn't want to do despite everything, not flaking because she has evolved as a human being. Oh,
0: I read it as we're just doing this for Carrie so that Che has the transformative storyline because it's Carrie's words, you don't move on because you're ready to but you move on because you've outgrown who you used to be are the words that magically get Che out of their
1: funk. I do think that's a profound statement. But yeah, you see them have an epiphany and they're like, fuck, I got to break up with Miranda. (laughs) That's what doesn't make sense. Because Che
0: acknowledges to Carrie like, oh, my life isn't over. I just had an ego death. I need
1: to move my shit on as well. And that's real. Like the key to getting out of any depression is having perspective. Sure. But Che is going to Che. And of course,
0: I guess in their mind, they're like, oh, I need to get rid of anything that was around the time I wrote my pilot <laughs> in order <laughs> to move on. <laughs> um, we should say that the the funny author compliments Carrie saying that I really needed a good cry, which is what her book gave her. Carrie's storyline is you could be funny and sad too. We need both, comedy and tragedy, Chelsea. They're like two sides of the same coin. And Michael Patrick King was like, you know what? I'm going to make a show that just puts the comedy and tragedy mask together, one <laughs> mask or the other. And now we're going to the tragedy mask because Miranda is home doing laundry? I guess
1: Naya was like, look, you could have this extra bedroom, but we have no in-unit laundry? It's actually like very sad seeing Miranda alone doing domestic labor. I understand that it like humanizes her as a person, but just compared to who she used to be. Also, do we think that during the
0: pandemic they had to get a little more lean with their finances and that's why they never replaced Magda or no one could replace Magda emotionally so they never even tried.
1: Well, I think Brady just got older and they didn't need her, right?
0: Yeah, but if you have someone doing your laundry day to day, you can't lose that. You can't go back in lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) This is not really the point of the scene. Steve walks in. She asks, where's Brady? He says Brady's
1: working at At Scout, which she seems very surprised by. It's like, how do you not know this? Great, I'm happy for Brady. It seems like he needs some more like life experience and should be working at Scout. Miranda is like, so thoughts on moving out? There's
0: so much time gaps, but that was two episodes ago when he said he was gonna move out, which was the summer, I think.
1: So now we're in the dead of winter and she's like, how's the apartment hunt going? Like
0: there's giving a partner space because you cheated on them? It depends on how they want to play this. Because sometimes it's like, the marriage was dead already. That's why I went to Che. And now it seems this season, it's like, I fucked everything up.
1: Well, she did blow up her family.
0: Steve gives the equivalent of that Leonardo DiCaprio speech in Wolf of Wall Street, where he's like, I'm not leaving.
1: <laughs> so true. <laughs> then he goes and shaves someone's head.
0: <laughs> we learn that her name is on the mortgage. But as we saw in season six...
1: Steve did build the house basically brick by brick. Okay, but Miranda sold her Manhattan apartment to buy this place, so it's their house.
0: The thing that she's doing is like, I'm about to go lawyer Miranda and like you basically have no legal rights to this house because my name is on the deed, my name's on the mortgage.
1: I wish you would go lawyer Miranda more often. (laughs) I forgot that she even was a lawyer.
0: The actor who plays Steve must have been so happy when he saw all of this dialogue because he really gets to act with a capital A. He literally does his equivalent of like, every day I wish you were dead. Which is, you never wanted to come to Brooklyn, you never wanted me, and you never wanted fucking Brady. Which I imagine is a reference to when Michael Patrick King said in that documentary or one of the behind the the episodes was like,
1: well, Brady started as an abortion. Obviously, she contemplated aborting Brady. She just had sex with a random bartender. That's a huge decision to be a single parent in oh, Manhattan. So to say she
0: didn't want Brady, she contemplated an abortion for like three days. Yeah,
1: seriously. And then she... Carried him to term, gave birth to him, and raised him for 18 goddamn years. It's like, you're still gonna lord that over me? Also, who knows in that relationship when that was revealed?
0: Because it's not in the show we watched, that was never said. It was communicated to Charlotte. She never said to Steve, like, "Ah, I might have an abortion.
1: How crazy would it have been if Brady walked through the door in that moment and was like, wait. What do you mean you almost aborted me?
0: (laughs) This seems to me to be a little bit of revisionist history. This whole idea that Miranda never wanted Steve. Because it's a very season two, three idea. But the way that their relationship is portrayed in season six, I mean, she leaves, Dr. Robert leaves. For Steve. That was a very conscious choice. She very much wanted to be married, to have a life with him.
1: And then when their marriage was tested, when he cheated, she chose to stay again. Plenty
0: of relationships. I get it. We're younger. We're not. We haven't had the experience that the writers have. But it's like you already did the cheating thing. Why don't you just have them grow apart? Like we as an audience understand they are fundamentally different.
1: This scene excellently acted. The fact that Cynthia also had to direct it while doing this shit, while having a breakdown basically, is pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. And then he immediately, I mean, he goes full psycho. And then within a second was like, oh, you can't get on the subway like
1: this. Yeah. It's like, okay, babes, you got to commit. If you're going to do this macho, like get the fuck out of our lives thing. It's like, then just like throw this woman out of your house. Don't immediately be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Miranda. It's like, what? It's like, don't throw my almost abortion from like 20 years ago in my face
0: the only way that this makes sense that steve would throw this in her face is if during a fight they were like and guess what i never wanted you and i almost supported Bree. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just it's so insane to read the situation this way as people that have spent i get it you're correct we do have a parasocial relationship with these characters but don't make it seem like i didn't watch what you wrote 20 years ago you wrote her making the decision of wanting to be a mother and yes were there challenges like she wasn't able to sleep and the balance between work and life but they're portraying it like she was Tilda Swinton and we need to talk about Kevin and just was like there with a crying baby stoically throughout season
1: six (laughs) I thought you were gonna say she was like Tilda Swinton and I am love just every Tilda Swinton role So Steve and Miranda
0: are in bed together. They are, I guess Miranda's getting that cuddle she's so deeply needed from Che, but they wouldn't give to them. And then Miranda notices an open condom wrapper. Chelsea, I will say that there's only been two times in media that this has been a plot point that I know of. The movie Fear. And this one. (laughs) Who is not disposing of condom wrappers?
1: clearly disposed of the condom, he's being a little bit sloppy. But this, okay, I really liked this because we had just gotten the intensely dramatic, like the darkest scene we've ever seen them have. And Miranda finding the condom wrapper, it's almost like that is what snaps her back into being herself again. That's
0: true. And perhaps Steve kept the condom out because he wanted Miranda to find it and remind her that he's evidently packing because that's a Magnum condom (laughs) wrapper. So he, of course, gives the line that everyone would give, which is, it's not what it looks like. And she goes, it looks like you've been fucking someone in our bed. And if you're going to do this, why not make it a joke? Because he just says no, and then he says maybe. You're attempting to be a comedy. Why not say... When she says, it looks like you've been fucking someone in our bed. No, we fucked on the floor.
1: Okay, well, that's an even heavier thing to say.
0: This show appears to exist in no reality, so
1: at least go for a joke is what I say. I'm just glad that like Miranda finally came to her senses. I love that she made the point that was like, you've been wallowing around the house for months and I've been here doing your laundry and you know, cleaning out the refrigerator and all this time it's like you have moved on.
0: Okay, well two things. I'm kind of on Steve's side with this, which is who said I was the victim? That's a narrative you made for me. Did he indulge in it a little bit? Yes. I would also ask, does fucking one person after a 15-year marriage mean you've moved on? Because it didn't for Carrie.
1: But he's further along in the process than she had previously thought. Especially when Carrie is telling her details. Like, he said he'd never take off his ring, etc.
0: Which, they're acting like that was a couple months ago. At this point, it's like nearly a year ago that that women's shelter painting scene happened. She clocks that, oh, this is why there's all this Whole Foods food in the fridge, is you're fucking someone who either likes Whole Foods or works at Whole Foods. It was hard to comprehend. But she leaves and says, I hope you enjoy your locally- sourced organic sex shouldn't it have been your locally sourced organic pussy
1: <laughs> I mean that would be funny I would also be into like locally sourced organic produce because at least that's passive aggressive
0: and could be a double entendre
1: Miranda leaves goes to Chase. And uh, Che immediately breaks up with her. (laughs) (laughs) Like, without providing any real reason, just saying like, this isn't going to get better. There's truth to that. Yeah, I
0: was just relieved someone acknowledged like, yeah, there's not much here, is there? (laughs) And we get a pretty funny Miranda line. Back-to-back breakups, I'm killing it over
1: here. Look, I'm happy that we got here.
0: I think the most infuriating thing about this episode is...
1: Okay, take a shot every time Lauren says the word infuriating.
0: People are drunk. Uh, fine, I-, I will rephrase. No,
1: you don't have to. I-
0: <laughs> but there are really seismic things in this episode that we knew were coming that just are so anticlimactic. The reveal of Aiden, the breakup between Miranda and Che. Just no opportunity to make this interesting. I guess if their attempt was to make it true to life,
1: I mean, I think that's a big priority for the writers.
0: Yeah, but in Sex and the City, they were able to take things that happened to
1: other people, but were able to heighten the drama for comedy. Look, generally speaking, I think the Miranda Steve fight and I and the Che that those back to back scenes. I do think this was the most meaty part of the episode and the most interesting part of the episode props to Cynthia for acting and directing and doing all of that.
0: That's what I was gonna say this episode is directed by Cynthia Nixon so she is having to get screamed at by Steve, yell at Steve, then go behind monitor and be
1: like let me see playback. I like don't want to be a hater of the show like I really actually don't and I love so many of the people involved in the show it's just the way the show's written.
0: The highest stakes were was LTW gonna get to MOBA on time or not?
1: Yeah, because it's like Steve and Miranda were already broken up. So the stakes there are more just like, is he going to move out? Well, as noted, the biggest shock is that they weren't already
0: divorced. Hasn't a year gone by? (laughs) So the episode ends with Carrie staring at her computer at the email she has pre-written to Aiden. And she presses send. And the end just like that for the episode is, I realize some relationships are meant to stay in the past and some aren't. Which feels like a real, like, rules for thee, not for me thing.
1: Yeah, but I feel like that was one of the better and just like that's. Certainly of the recent episodes.
0: And you know what would have made this really meaningful? Is if she said this on her goddamn podcast that could have acted like a conduit like her column did in the original series. Who is she talking to in these voiceovers? Oh yeah, I didn't
1: even think about that. (laughs) She just has a diary that she writes in, and it's only and just like that.
0: Give me something. And then she could be like Andy Cohen, since he evidently, he probably exists in this world where it's like the Carrie Bradshaw diaries. Why can't Carrie be the
1: bartender on Watch What Happens Life? I mean, this is such a common beat in television shows. Like, many shows have already explored this, so I'm not seriously suggesting that. But I think it more just speaks to the fact that... Carrie should have a much richer press tour than she's having. She does need Samantha to come back. Maybe, is that what this is about? We just need to see how bad things can get when she doesn't have a publicist? Well, but even what you're saying is a more fun
0: option of, like, if you want to humiliate Carrie or show how, like, dire publishing is, The idea would be like, oh, she thinks she's in one of the two chairs on Watch What
1: Happens Live, and then her publisher is like, actually, no, you're the bartender. It's this weird thing where it's like they've knocked her down so far, but I'm like, is it even conscious? Are we supposed to think that she's at rock bottom?
0: Yeah, in the socioeconomic bracket that she would be in as the wife of a finance bro on the level of Mr. Big she would be able to just buy good placements. We've seen that before, like the Sackler fashion designer that got the time section piece. But with Carrie, she's actually talented. So I just, I don't
1: believe, I know that things in publishing are dire, but not for her. It was established in Sex in the City that she's a pretty well-connected person.
0: Yeah. Anyway, I would imagine before we wrap up this episode, you saw the trailer that reveals Aiden is back next episode and kind of, I would imagine, gives us a preview of him over the next few episodes.
1: Right. They're
0: in bed together. They're shopping. Charlotte and Miranda seem a little concerned of how fast forward this relationship is, which kind of lends to our point of like, Is Aiden going to die soon? And that's why he's living this super fast relationship with Carrie?
1: Yeah, I'm really wondering why they made this particular choice. Because if they decided to kill Big, because Carrie being in a relationship, like a monogamous long-term relationship, isn't that interesting, then what is the plan with Aiden? I'm just glad that Miranda is now single. It seems like she took the breakup with Che pretty well. I mean, who knows? She could sink into a deep depression in the next episode, but I'm hoping that she will have to try and figure out dating as a queer person. Well, can someone be single and date?
0: Because it's certainly not going to be Carrie anymore. The more realistic storyline I thought maybe they were going to go with is now Aiden is the emotionally unavailable one who thought that this was a fling, but they're shopping for household in that preview so they're like pot committed with this relationship we're getting like season four Carrie and Aiden
1: well I'm interested to see where this goes obviously and I think we are definitely in a better position going into this next episode than we were at the beginning of this episode you're a real the
0: glass is half full with and just like that Chell
1: that's like so weird to hear as someone that like has the personality of Garfield
0: I look at us as the Siskel and Ebert of sex in the city. Someone's got to be a thumbs down. Someone's got to be a thumbs up for sure. But this this episode did test me a little bit. I know. Sometimes Siskel and Ebert were both thumbs down. Sometimes they were both thumbs up. Tune in next week to see if we're a thumbs up or a thumbs down.
1: Yeah, anything could happen, guys. All right, guys. I apologize to
0: anyone who played the drinking game where they take a shot every time I say infuriating. Please call into the hotline intoxicated, I guess, and tell me your thoughts.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm scared for the calls next week. All right, guys. Until then, we love you. Bye. Ciao.